Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendour. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Amen. Have you ever felt alone? Have you felt like God is far away? Like you're facing all of life's pressures and temptations and struggles on your own and you're running out of resources and it feels like, like God could never really understand what you're going through. Maybe you feel like time is up with God. Like you've, you've made all your resolutions, you've turned over so many new leaves, You've tried to be a better person over and over again and just keep on messing it up. So surely God wouldn't want anything to do with you. Maybe, maybe this morning you're here more out of habit than out of any kind of confidence or joy. Or joy. Maybe you're deflated and, and just feel flat like that. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're on top of the world. Maybe you're feeling pumped up spiritually. And so you're just here looking for some tips, looking for how you can kind of get in the spiritual gym and do better, live a, a stronger, more victorious life and, and kind of prove to God how strong you are. Or maybe you're not really sure what you think about God or where you stand with him. You're, it's hard to pin it down. Maybe you're just curious about Jesus. Well, if that's you, then welcome. Um, you're in the right place because what we're doing is looking through the first-hand accounts of Jesus's life. This is the kind of primary source evidence. If you want to know about Jesus, then this is the place to go. Luke's story about what he did, about what he said. If you want to know who Jesus was and who he is, then Luke's story is the place to go. And, and this story today will teach us a lot. Whatever position you're in, if you're feeling deflated or, or pumped up, if you're not really sure about Jesus, this is going to teach us today. So what's it all about? Well, it's about temptation. But not so much about our temptations. This is about Jesus' temptation. If you want to hear a sermon with kind of lots of practical advice about how to battle temptation, then you can look back to the 31st of May. You could Google Amherst Church temptation. It'll come up there. The top hit from YouTube is a sermon I gave about falling into temptation and how to get out. 
and then how to stay out. So if you want kind of really practical stuff, then go back to that. But this is less about our temptations. I mean, it'll still be practical and useful for us, but it's really more about Jesus' temptation. It's the story of Jesus being taken out into the wilderness and tested or tempted. Maybe that's something a bit of a surprise to us. I mean, how does Jesus get into that situation? Is it an accident that he's just on a Sunday afternoon stroll and he bumps into Satan? Or is it that God is angry with him and punishing him and kind of sends him out into the middle of nowhere to get tempted for a while to set him straight? Well, it's neither of those. No, verse one of chapter four says Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So it's not an accident. And then just before in chapter 21, we see Jesus being baptized and he's going down into the water, standing with sinners, with people who've made a mess of their lives, standing where they stand and heaven opens up and he hears a voice. God, the father speaks to him and says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit, God's presence comes down upon him like a, like a dove. You see, God's presence, his spirit is with him and God says that he loves him. And so it's not that God is punishing him. No, he leads him out into the desert for some other purpose. What is that purpose then? Well, what does he go to do? He goes out to be tempted to eat stuff in the wilderness for 40 days, to eat things that he shouldn't eat, to, to be tempted to doubt God's goodness, to be tempted not to trust God's judgment about the future, that kind of thing. And I wonder if you can start to hear some echoes there that give us some clues about what Jesus is doing. You see, Jesus is reenacting human history. In his temptations, Jesus is looking back to other people in human history who've been tempted by Satan as well. He's looking back to the story of Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden are tempted. The devil comes and says to Eve, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And then here the devil comes to Jesus and says, did God really say that you had to come out to the desert and not eat? And how do they respond? Well, Eve responds by kind of misquoting God and then disobeying God and eating the fruit and and the oily darkness of death starts to seep into the world. But with Jesus, Jesus quotes God perfectly, accurately, and says it's written in the Bible, man does not live by bread alone. He quotes God and then he obeys. He doesn't eat what he shouldn't eat. We'll get into that a bit more in a second. He completely trusts and is completely loyal to God his Father. You see, Jesus is echoing the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, except that he's not in a garden, is he? He's not well fed and watered, he's starving out in the wilderness. So that points us back to another story in the second book of the Bible this time, the story of Israel, God's people, freed from slavery in Egypt, led out into the wilderness by the Spirit, and then their food runs out and they're hungry. And how do they respond? Well, they respond by saying, Oh, we wish we were back in slavery. Who is this God who's taken us out here? They respond by rebelling against God and hating him. How does Jesus respond when he's led out, not for 40 years, but for 40 days, led by the Spirit to the wilderness and he's hungry? Well, he responds by trusting God, by depending on him, by complete loyalty to God his Father. So do you see? Jesus is reenacting human history. But he's rewriting the ending reenacting history but rewriting the ending he's working out the story of humanity as it should have gone 
This is God's true son. That's what he's called over and over again in the last few verses. That's what Satan keeps questioning him and trying to get him to doubt. Saying, if you are really God's son, and and this is how Jesus proves that he is. This is God's true son embodying humanity, standing with us where we stand, but doing it right this time, living fully reliant on God as his provider, living totally devoted to worshipping God, our maker, living completely trusting in God our Father, rejecting and crushing evil rather than giving into it and doing evil. See, Jesus is living the life that you and I and the world should have lived. He's reenacting human history, but rewriting the ending, planting a new tree so that we could have life instead of death. This is Jesus rolling back that tide of deathly dark oil that has seeped into the world. That means that this isn't just the story of tips about how to handle evil and get through temptation. No, this is the beginning of the story about Jesus wipes how, about how Jesus wipes evil away once and for all. So how does he do it? He does it by not giving in to temptation. So let's work them through. Three temptations, what are they all about? Well, the first temptation is about dependence. Jesus is dependent on God. Satan comes along and tries to throw him off, tries to make him independent by saying, look, something like this, if you're the son of God, surely you should be able to have the basic things of life, right? I mean, does God really care for you if he's taken you out to this desert and, and starving you? Are you really his son if he's doing that to you? I mean, surely he would just let you have your basic needs. So come on, use your power. Stand apart from God. Be independent. Grow up a bit. And just make some bread. Use your own power. I wonder if you ever feel that kind of temptation. Maybe not to the same degree. But the temptation to doubt God's goodness. To take things into your own hands. When things aren't easy, to say, I prayed... I looked to God, I trusted in him like they tell me to do at church, and look where that's got me. My life is still a mess, and so I'm going to take a break from God. I've had enough with him. Do you ever feel that temptation to go down that direction? To forget his words? To kind of live in your own strength and take things into your own hands? Maybe it's Christians or Christian teachers on TV who've told you that you should be living in victory. You know, that Jesus is the king, so a son of the king... A daughter of the king should live in victory in their finances, in their life, in their relationships. And so you're just disappointed with God. Don't listen to people like that. Tim Keller says, anyone who offers you a Christianity without tears is not giving you good money. They're giving you counterfeit. No, God loves Jesus. His spirit is on Jesus and he goes through really hard times. And Jesus says later, servants like us, servants of Jesus, we're not greater than our master. We should expect suffering in this world. But when we do go through it, we need to trust that God is with us through it. We need to trust in his word. And that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He says, you're wrong, Satan. Food, bread is not what I most need. It's not my most basic need. No. Verse four, man does not live by bread alone. That's a verse from the Old Testament that ends by saying, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, there's something more fundamental than getting my appetites filled, than feeling good in this life. There's something more fundamental, and that's living by God's word. That's by remembering that he loves me, that I'm a son of the king. 
That's what Jesus had heard just now, wasn't it? His food was to know that God loved him and to trust him and depend on him. So Jesus is dependent on God and then he's loyal to him too. The second temptation is all about loyalty. The devil takes him up to this high place, if you like, gives him this kind of mental travel brochure of all the kingdoms of the world and says, they're yours or they can be if you just bow down and worship me. I mean, I can make it easy for you. We all know that you're going to be the king of everything. So, so I can make that happen right now. And you don't have to go through all the trouble of worshipping God the Father. I mean, just think about him. He's so restrictive, the devil says. He makes so many demands. He puts you through so much, Jesus. I could give you a quicker route to power. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And you can skip out on all that suffering. You can have the crown without the cross. Do you ever feel that kind of temptation? I mean, it's not the same level as Jesus, is it? But are you ever tempted by all the possibilities of life without God? Does it feel like life just looks so so good without him? There would be no limits. There'd be no guilt. I could give myself to whatever I wanted to and I would feel free. It would be easy. But Jesus sees straight through that. Jesus sees through the lie that that is and starts quoting scripture again depending on God, goes back to the Bible and says it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now there's really only one thing in this world that is worth giving your life for. There's only one person who'll give you true freedom, true power, and that's God alone. He's the only one worthy of being worshipped. You will only have a crown if you bow the knee to him and serve him alone. He's the only one worthy of worship. So he passes that test too, and he's loyal to God. And then there's a third test. It's all about trusting God's judgment, trusting his plan for the future, trusting that He that he's given you enough to trust him. Satan is beginning to get a bit desperate. He's trying every trick in the book. He's even quoting the Bible now, doesn't he? He quotes Psalm 91 and says, Jesus, come on then. Let's have a little bit of a test. If you really are the son of God, well, look what he's promised. In Psalm 91, he's promised to rescue you from any kind of difficulty. So go on, let's set a test. Throw yourself down from the temple and he'll send down some angels to carry you and, and set you down safely in the temple courts. And I mean, the benefit of that would be that you would really know that God loves you. You would really know. It would be the final proof, the final bit of evidence that you need that God loves you. And nice little added benefit, people would come flocking, wouldn't they? If they saw that kind of miracle, they'd come flocking and they, they'd keep you from having to go through all of these next three years of suffering and difficulty, all of the controversy and hard words you'll have to speak, all the stones that people will chuck at you, all of the rejection that you'll suffer. You could skip all of that. Let's just do this awesome trick. People will love you. God will, well, you'll know that God really loves you and all things will be okay. And Jesus says, no, I can see through that as well. Can you see through it? Do you ever feel that temptation? Just a little bit more evidence would be nice. So I maybe set up a test, a test where I say to God, if you really love me, you would give me that job. Well, God, if you really love me, you, you know how much I, I want a wife. So you'd give me that wife of my dreams. Well, God, if you really loved me, you would heal that sickness if you really loved me. And do you see, do you see what Jesus sees? He sees straight through it and says, that sounds spiritual, but no, 
Don't put the Lord your God to the test. I can see what you're doing, Satan. You're trying to get me to control God. You're trying to get me to hold him to ransom, to get him to do whatever I say. It's like that abusive boyfriend who says, if you really love me, you'd send me a few pictures. If you really love me, you'd come and sleep with me. Or a friend who, who abuses your friendship and says, look, we're mates, aren't we? So, so you'd lend me that money. You are a good mate, aren't you? I just want to get my business going. Come on, I thought we were friends. And it kind of sounds okay to begin with, but if you've ever been in that situation, you know it's just pure horror, isn't it? Pure self-centered manipulation to do that kind of a thing. I mean, who would do that? To put somebody in that position, to put your love on the line, to put your friendship on the line. Jesus says, no, I'm not doing that with God. Real love for God doesn't invent little tests to force him into a reaction. Real love for God trusts that he is the God who's already given us so much evidence of his love. He's the God who holds the future that I don't need to make up little tests for him to prove himself. He's already given me enough. I'm going to trust him. So do you see what Jesus is doing? He's doing all the things that you and I should do. He's depending on God through everything. He's worshipping God alone through everything. He's trusting his love and his judgment about how things should go. He's doing what you and I should do. He's reenacting human life, but rewriting the ending. He's doing it right this time. Put it in a different way. He's planting a new tree. He's making it so that, so that you could come out of the family tree of Adam and Eve and Israel and all of humanity who failed to do what we should do. We can be brought out, cut out of that tree and planted into Jesus's family tree. We can be wrapped around with his goodness. We can be forgiven for, for all of our mess, for all of our failures to deal with temptation, for all the times that we've gone with Satan and put our hand in his and lived against God. We can be forgiven for all of that. It can be cleaned away as Jesus comes and stands in our place and gives us his life instead. You see, Christianity is not not about living a good life and then offering that to God in exchange for his love or in exchange for heaven or something like that. It's not about me living my good life and then trying to offer that to God. It's, it's the opposite. It's about God in Jesus living his good life and then giving that to me. This is what happens when you become a Christian is you come to Jesus and you give him all that you are, all of your sins and failures, and he gives you all that he is. It's like that famous old illustration of, imagine your life on a VHS tape, you know, a kind of family home video of all of your life, not just celebrations and, and successes, but all of the mess and misery as well. And Jesus takes that, takes it away, and gives you his VHS, puts it in your in the box of your life, so that when God looks at you, when he sees what you've done with your life, it's it's Jesus that he sees. It's as if you're wrapped up in him. It's as if you're planted in him. You see all those pictures working together? This is what Jesus did at the baptism. At his baptism, he wasn't a sinner who needed to turn away, who needed anything washed away. He was coming and standing in our mess and taking it on himself and giving us new life. That's what that's all about. So what does this mean for us today? It's not just tips for how to fight temptation. This is Jesus showing us his life and then offering it to you. It's him planting a new tree and saying, would you like to be a part of that? 
this new humanity that he's begun. He's inviting you to be a part of it. So how do you do that? Well, this is what last week's sermon was all about. You turn your back on your old life. You say, Jesus, I'm sorry for that. Would you take me? And he says, yes. He welcomes you in and he's willing to die for you. He says, yes. And then do you know what you hear? You hear what he hears. At that baptism where Jesus stood there and heard God say to him, what was it? You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Well, you hear that over you. You hear God say to you with your name, this is my beloved son. This is my cherished daughter whom I love. And you'll hear that for the rest of your life. When you sin again, when you mess it up, when you turn over that new leaf and wreck it again, you can know that God knew about that in advance and Jesus still was willing to, loved you enough to die for you. So that sin is covered. You've got a new life. You belong to a new humanity. But if you're already following Jesus, then you know all this already, don't you? So I hope it's been a good thing to remember as you wake up in the morning to bind this on you and say, I am not my own. I belong to Jesus. I'm in his family tree. I have his Holy Spirit. I'm loved by God. And so I'm going to face the day and say no to temptation and live for him. And then at the end of the day, as you look back over it and you think, oh, I really made a mess of that. You can bring that to him and and know that he loves you, that he forgives you, that you're welcome in his presence because you're a child of God. And all the stuff that went well, you can say, Lord, thank you for that. That was your power working in me. But beyond all of that, you know what else you can do? You can know that Jesus knows what you're going through. Imagine this, ask the question, how did this get into the Bible? Most of the other stories that we have in Luke have other eyewitnesses that saw this and then told their stories to Luke, who wrote them down. But with this story, it's just Jesus and the devil. So how did it get in? I reckon it got in because Jesus shared this story with the disciples. Maybe one day they said to him, Jesus, you don't really know what it's like for us. You don't have to deal with temptation like we do. And he said, oh, really? Let me tell you the story. Right at the beginning of my ministry in this world, right at the beginning, I faced Satan himself for 40 days on an empty stomach. Oh, but yeah, but you're God, you know, you kind of have extra special power to face that kind of thing. It's not really the same. And Jesus says, maybe we could think about it like this. Imagine two runners. One goes and does a a one kilometer route every now and again and then collapses on the sofa. The other runner runs marathons. Which one of them really knows what it's like to run and persevere through the pain of running? Which one knows most about distance running? It's the one who's gone through the wall, isn't it? Who runs the marathons and that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who went through temptation and never gave in, who never flopped down on the sofa and just let it pass over him. He's the one who knows what it's like to stand in the fiercest hurricane and never back down. He knows what temptation is like because he's completed it. He's gone through it and out the other side with the devil slinking away, having nothing left in his locker to throw at him. Jesus knows what it's like to go through temptation. Another Bible writer puts it like this. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. He's like us. He's felt every kind of pressure. And so you know what that means? It means he knows what you're going through and he's with you in the race. It means that he will never let you down either, that he has no Achilles heel. Imagine imagine what he's like to do this for you, to go through that kind of pressure for you. 
Do you know anybody else who would do that? It means that we can rely on Jesus, that he knows what we're going through, that we can trust him and bring him into all of our temptations. I mean, there's plenty of people in our lives who make promises to us, aren't there? Plenty of people who fail to keep those promises, some of the deepest promises of life, and people have failed you. People didn't live up to what you thought they could be or should be or promised to be, but Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not like anyone else in the world. He's like us in that he was tempted. He knows what it's like to be you. And yet he knows what it's like to defeat temptations. So whenever we face difficult things, we're not to think that God doesn't understand us. He knows what it's like to go through this because he went through this. So remind yourself as you go through it, bring friends around you to remind you that he is with you, that his spirit is with you, that you are a beloved son whom he loves even Even if you were to go and do that sin, he would love you just the same afterwards and before and through it. Doesn't that strip away the desire to want to just to know how much God loves us, that he's pleased with us, to know that this is who we are now, that we're in him, that we have a new family tree, that he's wrapped his life around us and welcomes us into the presence of God without shame, with all of our past gone. This is who we are now. So we should remind ourselves of those kind of things when we're tempted. But Jesus has more than empathy for us. You see, Jesus has faced this enemy and defeated it once and for all. He's no armchair general. He's been through it all. He's faced the snake himself and defeated him. So you can do it. As you face temptation, he's right there with you. Put your hand in his and let him, by his spirit, take you through temptation and out the other side. So remember who you are a citizen of the new humanity that Jesus is creating, a branch on the new tree that he has planted. Remember Jesus going through this for you. Have that word planted deep in your heart so that whenever you're facing temptation, you know that Jesus has been there and is with you and will bring you through it and keep you walking with him to the end. Amen.